Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Breakfast in a Class. We are, uh, fortunately, we're in uh, Aventura. Plans changed over the weekend, so I ended up uh, in Florida, and I'm lucky enough to be here uh, with uh, Rabbi Isaac Farhi. Rabbi Farhi has this old world connection for me, which which I appreciate so much, and this uh, way of explaining things that always reminds me of, uh, of my rabbi, Rabbi Abitan. So, uh, and also I'm very grateful that he shares uh, to a certain extent his pulpit with me whenever I come to visit. The, uh, we were discussing this, uh, this Shabbat, and uh, for the most part we were discussing the concept of Hashgachat Pratit, and also how it relates to Megillat Esther. And in the Megillah we see that the Megillah is basically a series of coincidences, and Hashem is hiding within the coincidence. We see what is the Megillah. Megillah is Megillat Esther, and Esther, the rabbis tell us, is from the word Esther. Esther is, is hidden, and Hashem, in a way, is hidden within the Megillah. But we see that even Hashem being hidden, Esther knows that her tefillah has to be addressed really to Hashem, and she comes to the king and she tells him when she's asking him to come to the, the party and the party really we see is the, the beginning of the downfall and if we look at those words we see the yud the hey, the vav and the hey are the rashi tevot of those words so even her request she's turning to Hashem for help to make sure that Hashem manipulates the system so that it works. So I want to share with you, I like to hear the stories of Rabbi Farhi, how he was able to leave Syria, he came to Egypt, he came to, sorry, to, uh, to Turkey, and from Turkey to Eretz Israel, and Eretz Israel, he went to Yeshiva, and then he, he joined the army, and he fought in the war of 1973, the Yom Kippur War. <clears throat> the rabbi tells us that when he was 17 years old, he decided he's going to leave Aleppo and they're going to figure out how to get into Turkey. And from Turkey, he can make his way to Eretz Israel with the help of uh, organized people who were there. And at the time, many people would hire smugglers to carry them across the border. But there was always this fear that you pay the smuggler this exorbitant amount of money. And then at the last minute, he turns you over to the authorities for the reward of turning over someone trying to leave the country. So he and a friend decided that they're going to do it on their own. How? The rabbi mentioned that his father had a store and he would buy from different merchants. And one of these merchants always supplied very hard to come by goods. And you might call those goods black market goods, which he was importing from Turkey without the government knowing. He was bringing them in in a, in a secretive manner. So the rabbi, as a young man, would ask this, uh, this person, how do you do it? How do you get by? How do you get by customs? Where do you cross the border? And he told the man, listen, maybe I'll work with you and I'll, I'll, I'll pay you a commission and you'll, you'll help me to, to do things that we could bring in things ourselves. So he said he met with this man no, no less than three times, and each time the guy showed him the maps and how he made it through and where he crossed and what he was doing. And the rabbi said, unfortunately, he wasn't raised uh, to read maps. But he did his best, and he 
tried to figure it out. And then the day came and he decided with his friend, okay, we're going to go. And they're going to cross, they're going to march across, they're going to come to the border of Turkey and they're going to cross where this guy told them is the best place to cross. But they come to the border and there's a river. And when you're looking at a river, you're never sure. Is the river a deep river? Is it a crossable river? Is it a river like the Jordan? You know, some places in the Jordan River we go and the tourist guy takes us to the Jordan and it looks like a, a little stream stream flowing through some rocks that you could just, you know, you could just uh, hop across with no problem. And it's true in some places in the Jordan, especially during the dry season, the, the water is uh, almost like walking through puddles. So they ended up coming to this river and they not sure how deep the river is. They're hoping maybe the river is very shallow and they can start to walk. So they're there and they left anything that would indicate that they're a Jew at home. And so they start to cross the water. They take off their shoes, they're holding their shoes above their head, but the water goes to their knees and then the water goes to their waist and then the water goes to their chest and finally the water is at their mouth. And they're thinking, we go forward, we might die. Who knows what's going to be? So they decide to head back. They head back. And he said that in the morning, they said Shema Yisrael, when they were going to go on their journey, that Hashem should help them and guide them. Now sitting there depressed, thinking that this was all for naught, and they're going to end up having to go back. They say Shema Yisrael again. And they're sitting there. And suddenly an Arab comes to them. And the Arab is sitting, and he says, Boys, where you, uh, where are you from? And they tell them, they tell the Arab they're from Aleppo. He says, you're from Aleppo? I'm also from Aleppo. And uh, he tells them that he's going to cross the river. He's going to Turkey. And they say, but the river is very high. And uh, he says to them, yeah, but I, I know how to get across. You're from Aleppo. I'm from Aleppo. But what are you doing here? Why don't you just cross the border like normal people cross the border? And they said that we have an uncle. He's very ill. And uh, we wanted to go see him in Turkey and if we would have waited to go by regular channels it would have taken us a month between the passport and everything so we decided we're just going to go they wanted to make sure that the guy didn't know that they're Jewish again they're always worried that someone's going to take them give them to the authorities get the reward and they end up in jail so this guy took a liking to them he says let me show you so he says follow me they marched up river about half a mile and he said, here, it's very shallow. The rocks are there. We can easily cross and get to the other side. And so they did. And they made it to the other side. And the rabbi said, look, imagine if, if this man had come a half hour before. They would never have seen him. Or if he had come a half hour later, they would have been gone. Already going back home, depressed. They would never have seen him. He came at the exact moment that they finished saying Shema Yisrael and asking Hashem to help. You have to realize, he said, that there's always this aspect of Chachat Prati. When we relate to Hashem, when we believe in Hashem, when we depend on Hashem, Hashem is there for us. We see, and uh, we see that uh, in many ways this whole holiday of Purim this whole holiday of Purim is a holiday of Hashkachat Prati, like we mentioned. There's a question that comes up, and we see in the, in the Megillah 
And it says, And the king said to Esther the queen, The Yehudim have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the capital, and the 10 sons of Haman. And he answered, Whatever you want, let's do. So Esther said to the king, If it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Yehudim that are in Shushan to do machar, to do tomorrow, also as this day. And she said, And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the rabbis all asked the question, But the ten sons of Haman are already dead. What's the point of hanging them? And the rabbis answer in Midrash Tanhumah, and they say there, and Rashi also brings it. He says, what is this word machar in Esther's request? There's a tomorrow that is now and a tomorrow which is later. In the Megillah, the, 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 the most recognizable page of the Megillah is the page that lists the ten sons of Haman. That page, we see their names written very, very large. It takes the entire page. And in between each name, there's the word ve'et. Ve'et, we say each name, ve'et parshan data, ve'et pamashta, ve'et vizata. All the names of the sons of Haman, all divided by ve'et. And we ask, what do you mean ve'et? The rabbis tell us ve'et means a duplication, a replication. Means there's a son of Haman who's going to hang and someone else who's going to hang. In addition... We see there are three letters that are in the name of Hama, the name of Haman's children that always the Megillah writes them smaller than the rest of the letters. And these letters are a taf, a shin, and a zayin. And these letters, you know, we, we refer to the years, taf, shin, you know, always using this, uh, this formula. And taf, shin, zayin would refer to the year 5707. And that responds to the secular year of 1946. We should know that the Nuremberg trials took place then. And when Esther requested, let Haman's ten sons be hanged, it echoed through the ages. And we see that there was an execution date that fell on Hoshana Rabbah, the 21st day of Tishtay. And this is the day Hashem seals the verdicts of Rosh Hashanah. And what happened? There were 12 people originally convicted at this Nuremberg trial to death. One of them was, was tried in, in, in absentia and he was, he was away. And another one of them committed suicide in his cell. Committed suicide in his cell. And some say that this person who committed suicide was a transvestite. I don't know. That's what I heard. And he relates to the daughter of Haman, who when she dumped the garbage on her father, thinking her father was the one riding on the horse and Mordechai leading the horse and didn't realize she dumped the garbage on her father who was leading the horse, she was so overcome that she killed herself. And then 10 of the Germans were hung. And the strangest thing is that there was one man and his name was Julius Streicher Imachemo. This guy had a magazine called Der Strumer. And in his magazine, it was as Das Strumer, as anti Semitic as you can get. It was the stormtrooper. 
and he would write again and again and the pictures would show again and again how the Jews are behind every negative, everything in this world. And one of his issues, he wrote about Purim, about the Purim Fest. And there he was publishing this attack. So he had a good deal of knowledge of Jewish thought and practice. And what was amazing is when they put the noose on his neck and these 10 Nazis were standing there, what did he yell out? He yelled out Purim Fest 1946. Esther told the king, Machar, she's really telling Hashem Machar, Machar, you're going to hang the enemies, the enemies of the Jews. And Machar, we see those letters that no one could ever figure out. Why are those three letters the small letters? Taf, Shin, Zayin. They're the letters 5707. And 5707 had just begun because 1946 would have been 5706 until after Rosh Hashanah. And now is Rosh Hashanah Rabbah, 21 days after Rosh Hashanah, the day of final judgment. And Hashem took the machar of hanging the 10 sons of Haman. And again, He hung the 10 sons of Haman, Yimach Shemam, the Nazis. We should know that Hashem is really there. He's there and He's always watching over us. But it's important for us to believe that, to see it. The Nevi'im tell us if you put your faith in the Baal, if you put your faith in Elohim, Acherim, in false gods, then Hashem's going to let you put your faith in them, let them help you. But if you put your faith in Hashem, if you turn to Hashem, if you look at Hashem, if you believe in Hashem, if you believe in this Hashkacha Prati, if you believe that Hashem is involved in everything in my life, then Hashem will truly be there. Everybody have a great day. Have a wonderful Purim. Bezvat Hashem tomorrow. We'll give you one more on Purim.